If you weren't here last week, we're starting this series where we're talking, I call it 4D living, and that is we're taking four Ds, and we're looking at a a different D word each week, but uh, what we're also doing is a parallel study using each one of these words through the life of Elijah. Today's word, which is a huge and an important word, is this word discover, and discover is simply this. What is it God is trying to teach you right now? What are the life lessons that God may be trying to teach you and teach me? And are we open to learn those life lessons? And when you look at Elijah, that's what we're going to see is that there was a process that God used for him, and it's a process that he uses for us to teach us our deepest lessons. Discovery is a big deal. On June 10, 2018, the U.S. Patent Trademark Office declared the 10 millionth, now this is a man, uh, remarkable, the 10 millionth patent since it was started in 1790. Now think about that, 10 million different patents that people are still discovering. People are still going out making a huge difference. The first patent, interestingly enough, was by Samuel Hopkins, and his burning patent was improving potash as opposed to pearl ash. Well, I can see why that kept him up at night. I mean, that's obvious. But all of us need to have this yearning to keep seeking God and for discovery. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a human, as we've shared before, just like us, but he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. And then for three and a half years after the drought, it rained. Discovery, what does that mean for you? And what does it mean for me? Uh, and turn over to 1 Kings 17. And you're going to see the beginning of this story. It's a remarkable story. And what I love about it is this prophet, Elijah, ends up in the presence of this very evil king. And the king's name was, anybody? Test. Ahab, good. Nobody listened last week. So, and he married uh, Macbeth. And remember her name? Okay, good. Two for two, Jezebel. Okay. And so you're reading this story, and right there at 17, when Elijah shows up, and as I'm going through Scripture a lot of times, I actually will pray through and try to even put myself there. And as I was praying through, I thought, you know, Elijah, honestly, he just shows up and then launches into this speech in front of Ahab. But I thought before we get to that, the question is, who is this guy? I mean, you don't just randomly show up in the midst of an evil king and say, hey, can I have some time? It doesn't happen that way. It's obvious that this is a guy that God had set up in such a way, much influence, that Ahab even gave him time. So my, my question is, and it's obvious here, is why would God use this guy? And if he used him in such a powerful way, it's this one truth. He was called by God. He was called by God. Have you ever heard that phrase? Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody say that they felt a calling from God. Anybody? How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, have ever used the phrase, I felt called by God? So I want to talk for just a few minutes before we get into Elijah's life about that phrase. Mark Bellinger has a great website, and it's called applygodsword.com. Applygodsword.com. And he talks about, and I love this, that when you hear about a calling, there are two calls. One is universal, and the other is specific. So what is the universal call? Every 
one in this room who has given their life to Jesus Christ has a universal call. Do you know what that universal call is? We are all called to bring glory to God, every one of us. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We are all called to bring glory to God. Now, that means bringing glory to God at work when you don't like your boss. That means bringing glory to God. That means bringing glory to God at home, in your family. For all the parents right now that are raising teenagers, bringing glory to God. Do you know what I'm saying? When you wake up some days, you're like, do I call the school counselor? Do I call an exorcist? I'm just not sure. You know, if you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It means when you're at a restaurant and it is slow and the server is slow and the food's just not perfect, that means you bring glory to God. It means when you're at a ball game and you're watching your kid's game and the referee makes a mistake and you go, praise Jesus for that man or that woman. No, no, it means you bring glory to God. Now, see, it's so easy to, to go back and say, well, I'm not Elijah. No, no, I know you're not Elijah. I'm not either. But I know that universally we all have that call to bring glory to God. The second call is this one, a specific call that God actually calls us to do specific things in our lives. And I truly believe that he calls all of us to do that. Matter of fact, here's two questions. And if you want to jot these down, I, I believe these are great questions that you ask yourself. Is God actually calling me to do something? Here's the first one. What am I good at and passionate about? What am I good at? And passionate about. If you remember last week, we talked about this. God wants us to have the desires of our heart. So when you're right with God, God puts within you passions. And you step back, you realize, I'm, I'm good at that. And when you're good at something, and then you become passionate about it, that is God's call to do something with it. In 1 Corinthians 9, I love it, Paul says, I am so passionate about preaching Jesus Christ. I can't imagine life not doing that. What is it you're passionate about? And how can God use that to help other people? Now, here's why I said to help other people. God may be calling you to do something, and you're passionate about it, and you're wondering, am I using this for the Lord? And the answer is, are you using it for others? Now, if you're passionate about something, and you do it consistently, and it's really just for yourself, what do you call that? Anybody? That's a hobby. Now, is a hobby a sin? No, it's not a sin at all. But God wants us to be passionate to serve others, which leads me to the second question. What people need can I offer? In other words, you look around, and there's a need, and you don't know why, but all of a sudden, you can't sleep well at night. You can't get a specific ministry off your mind. You can't get a neighbor off your mind. And deep inside, God is stirring something in you to step up, and that is a call. God's call, I love this, is that you may know uh, that God is calling you by the counsel of other people. In other words, somebody says to you, have you ever thought about and listen carefully when they say that? Have you ever thought about, and you're like, what? No. No, I haven't ever thought. I've never thought about that. And then maybe another person says, hey, you're really good at, and all of a sudden you're like, I wonder if God is trying to get my attention. The other thing is, which is so important, this is a great little quote, it's not mine, 
A call from God will always be spiritually fruitful, but not always financially successful. God may call us to do something, and we're like, well, I don't really know if that's God's call because I didn't see any financial gain. And many times this call has nothing to do with financial gain. Matter of fact, I'm going to share something that has frustrated me for a long time. And I went through it, especially uh, all my years in high school and college, and then when I was a youth minister for nearly 20 years. I cannot tell you how many weeks of church camp, how many conferences, how many retreats uh, that I've been to in my life. And when you're at camps and conferences, everything leads up to the last night, if you've ever been to the conferences. And when you, because what's going to happen on the last night? You bet you've been to conferences. That's the big decision night, okay? And all these decisions always fall into three categories. I mean, I can write the script. I already know what it is. The first category is if you've never accept, accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, and that's huge. And so many young people accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Many of them get baptized that night, or they say, I'm going to go home and make a, a public decision. And that's awesome. The second one is rededication. I've, I've screwed up so much in my life. Uh, and if, especially in a more intimate setting like church camp, I used to call that beat that testimony. You know, the first kid would be, it's been such a rough year. I started smoking. Then the next kid, I smoke and I started cussing. And the next kid, I smoke and I cuss and I killed a man. You know, they go on and I just beat that testimony. And there's a rededication. Now, get, don't get me wrong. Great. And then there's the big one. It's uh, when a, a young man or a young woman will step up and say, I've committed my life. To full-time what? Christian service. And everybody applauds, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I remember doing that, and, uh, and again, I'm not saying that that wasn't an important step. But over the years, I realized, wait a second. So I went to Bible college, and I'm a paid minister, and somehow that title is more important than the person who goes to work every day in a non-Christian environment and lives out their faith every day. Who do you think really is a, is a full-time Christian? Who do you think is really invested full-time? And so many times, to be honest with you, ministers, sometimes they're not, they feel like they're on this little pedestal, like, look at me. And here's the deal. We're not. You're the ministers. Everybody in this room, you're a minister. You're a full-time minister. You're called by God. Don't ever get discouraged as if Am I really called by God? You're called by God. Just like Elijah who stood in front of a king and boldly proclaimed, I, I am the only one that will determine when it rains. Now, he wasn't representing himself. He was representing God. said, if you don't get your act together, there's going to be a drought, and we are not going to see rain until I say there is rain. Now, how does a guy do that? Well, he was called to do that, and we're called to do that. And God still wants us to discover his calling. So this morning, let's look at two ways that we can do that. First of all, we're going to see through Elijah's life that God uses unexpected circumstances and unexpected people to help us discover our next steps in life. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe that's what you're struggling with is, Lord, I'm really trying to make a decision what I need to do next, and I don't know how to do that. And I want you to know that there's good news. And what God does many times is just like Elijah, he'll use these unbelievable circumstances, unexpected, and he'll use unexpected people 
And through all of that, you begin to see how God is leading you to the next steps of your life. So look at 1 Kings 17. And we're going to drop down in verse 1. Uh, we've heard Elijah. He stands in front of the king. He allows him to hear this word from God that it's going to, there's going to be a drought. And then look at verse 2. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now this is when I think the Bible gets funny. Uh, look at uh, verse 3. Leave. There it is. Elijah, great job. Uh, you threw down the truth in front of the evil king. He's, he's, got, a, he's got a wife. <laughs> She's feisty. And so Elijah, um, run. Okay, so you need to run. And so he does. And he goes to this desert region. And what I love when he gets there is then God truly begins to use this very unexpected circumstance to discover his true will. And the circumstance is going through a really hard desert time. And he goes to this area, and you got to know he's discouraged. And he's probably thinking, am I going to survive? Because God said there's a drought. But yet there's a, a beautiful brook, and this stream is going through, so he's got water to drink. And then what God does, which is remarkable, is he uses, of all things, a raven to drop food every day. It says meat and bread for him every day. To survive. Don't you love that? Tom Ellsworth, when we had a study group a few weeks ago, he said this is purely speculation, but he said it's an interesting thought, is if this raven is dropping morsels of meat and bread every day in the midst of a drought, where is that coming from? Where's that coming from? We're like, I have no idea. And he goes, I think it's coming from the king's table. That's coming straight from the palace. I think it is too. I think Ahab's like, man, where did that T-bone go? You know, I mean, he's looking around, and that stinking raven show, you know, and all of a sudden he just drops it. And I don't think it's like uh, the raven comes up, and they're having this intimate conversation. I think the raven's just kind of dropping it, and Elijah's like, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for feeding me one more day. Thank you for that daily bread. Literally, that was his daily bread. That's what God does is he takes these, these situations that seem like desert time in our life, and he does amazing things. There's an author by the name of John Yates. And John Yates told a story about a, a man who had survived a shipwreck. He was alone and crying out to God day in and day night. And then wood started coming up on the shore. Now, this wasn't the Tom Hanks movie, by the way. And then he built a little hut. And as he built a hut, he thought, well, maybe it's going to get better. It'll keep me at least safe from the rain. And then he went out one day, and he would forgot that he would kind of started a fire, left it on a tit, and it actually burnt that little hut down, and he had just about had it. And he woke up the next morning angry at God, and then he looked on the horizon like he did every morning, and he could see that there was actually a ship coming his way to rescue him. And when the ship arrived, the captain said, I got to tell you, that was brilliant that you set that whatever it was on fire, because that's how we saw where you were. And that's what God does in our life, just in the midst of these really hard times in life. We don't even know how, but through that difficult time, God will provide the next steps of our life. God uses unexpected circumstances and unexpected people. If you notice here, he doesn't use an individual, but he uses a, a raven, this bird. And what is a raven? Those of you that study is a scavenger. So I don't think that's how Elijah would have wrote the script as he's telling everybody how God showed the way that he used a raven. But sometimes it may not be a raven, but God will use people, unexpected people, 
to help you when you're going through hard times. If I had time, I would love to get each, give each of us about 20, 30 minutes to think about this and then talk about it. I want you to think about 2018, some of the new people God's already brought into your life. Maybe it was just a conversation, or maybe you have a new friendship. But God, I guarantee you, brought somebody in your life over this last year, unexpected, and you don't even know why, but now life is better. He does that all the time. Sometimes folks come for a season, and sometimes they end up being friends for, for years and years. You just never know what God's going to do in your life. That there's new discoveries right around the corner. Matthew 5.45 says, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, why is that important? Because when we're going through hard times, if we're honest, if we're having a pity party, don't we feel like we're the only ones that are going through that? And God is saying, you're not the only ones. And even the people that you don't like, trust me, uh, just like in Elijah's day, they're going through the same drought you're going through. And when it rains, they're going to experience the rain just like you. But you can discover the next steps in your life. God loves to work in ways that we can't understand. God also uses, and this is number two, what I call the process of elimination to help us discover our next steps. The process of elimination. If you'll look down in 17, verse 7, just the very first part of that is pretty powerful, and I want you to think about it. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Would you say that with me? Sometime later, the brook dried up. Now, I want you to picture this. There's Elijah, and you got to know he's praying, and he's seeking out what to do next. And uh, there's not a lot going on. And slowly, he begins to see the brook starting to dry up, okay? And he's not crazy. He knows. Now, when the brook dries up, uh, I'm going to die. I mean, so there's not a lot of options here, God. Just saying, watching. I know there's a drought, and I know the brook's drying up. So, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the next step. But it's not until the brook dries up that God actually allows him to hear the next step. So my question for all of us this morning is, in your life, what do you do when the brook dries up? What do you do mentally when you are so overloaded, you honestly feel like, I cannot make one more decision. You ever felt like that? I can't make one more decision. Or what do you do emotionally when you're so wiped out and you are cried out? You cannot watch one more Lifetime movie. You cannot just get through one more. I mean, you're emotionally like there is nothing left. What do you do? What do you do when you're physically drained, exhausted? Like, I can't take one more step. I can't get through one more illness. What do you do? Well, I want you to see what the answer is in uh, James 5.17. It talks about Elijah. He was just like us, except for he was always prepared for the next step. How? He was earnestly seeking out God. He was prepared for the next step because his heart was right with God. And so many times, have you noticed, at least in my life, when I go through 
mental strain, emotional strain, or physical strain. I always try to figure out how to do it on my own without realizing I'm not really leaning into God nearly enough. And sometimes the brook has to dry up before I finally say, hey, God, by the way, I forgot to seek you out, but I probably need to do that. That's what Elijah teaches all of us, how important it is to be prepared. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I had a professor who taught homiletics. That's basically how to write a sermon. And I know some of you were thinking, might have taken that class again, but Keith McCaslin was his name, and I, and I love some of the words of wisdom that Keith would, uh, Mr. McCaslin would share. And here was one of them. He said, don't ever start a sermon by saying, you know, it's been a really long week, and I didn't have a lot of time to prepare my message. He said, just don't, don't say that. And I tell young people this all the time. Even when they do a devotion and they stand up, here's a word I hate, a phrase. I didn't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to wing it. Boy, I can't wait to hear what you've got to say. You know, that's, so his thing is, you don't have to say you're not prepared. You just got to give it everything you've got. That's the first truth. Second truth is, guess what? Within a few minutes, they already know you weren't prepared, okay? And he said, and don't blame that. Don't say the Holy This I didn't have time to study. It's Holy Spirit led. He goes, don't blame that on the Spirit. You know, that's true, okay? And we need to realize how important it is, honestly, to be prepared. To say, Lord, I want to be prepared. I want to seek you out. You want me to discover something. But I also know to discover that, I've got to be prepared. I've got to be on my knees. I've got to do whatever it takes because, Lord, there are times in life the brook is going to dry up. And, Lord, I want to be ready for those times. It's not if a storm is coming, what? The storm is going to come. And so I, I told you one of the things I try to do is put myself in the stories. And I put myself in this story, and I thought, boy, I love Elijah because the brook dried up and he had been earnestly praying. He knew. But I thought if that was me and the brook was drying up, I would be panicking. Not because I knew I had to do something. It's because of, here's a word, I know none of you battle this. The brook dries up, that represents to me procrastination. That, that's for me. Because I'd be the guy going, ah, it looks like the water's going away. I might want to do something about that. Then the next day, it's not looking any better. You know, it's, and it just, finally the brook dries up like, Hey, God, uh, is there a plan? You know, and God's saying, I was trying to prepare you long before the brook dried up. I want you to think about the times in life that that is, we're blaming other people. I do this. And then I step back and go, wait a second. That wasn't somebody else's fault. That's my fault because of procrastination. There is a must-see TED Talk by Ted Urban. Uh, I would love for all of you to check out. And it's called The Mind of a Master Procrastinator. The Mind of a Master Procrastinator. And I just want to briefly share what he shared because, boy, it stuck home with me. He says, first of all, there are brain pictures, waves that we know of, of a procrastinator. And here's the first picture. It's this is what it looks like, the brain of a rational decision maker. That's in all of our brains. We have this brain to make rational decisions, well-prepared decisions. But the problem is if you're a procrastinator, along in that brain comes the second one, and this is the instant gratification monkey. You have, and that monkey is in the same brain. Now, here's what's crazy. The, the decision, the rational, has all, I mean, can make great things happen. And he loves the instant gratification monkey 
But the problem is the instant gratification monkey doesn't like him and does not listen to him at all. Matter of fact, he tries to get his attention. He will never listen. And there's only one thing that will intimidate their gratification monkey, and that is the panic monster. Does anybody know what the panic monster is? It's called a deadline. We all lived it. Uh, if you've been in college, it's the, the, the huge paper is due on this date, let's say March 3rd. And on March 1st, you're like, I might want to start that. You know that? And then you spend several nights up. Every minister, if they're honest, will go through that. And you know what works you through your panic? You know what it is? Sunday's coming whether you like it or not. Every Sunday is coming. Heather, leading worship, is that true? Yeah, you don't wake up and go, hey, I think God might cancel Sunday this week. You know, and some ministers, they're sick, but some ministers, when there's a snowstorm approaching, thinks, oh, that could work well this week. You know, I'm just saying that's the sinners. Okay, that's the really bad minister. Bad, bad. But see, if we're honest, if we're honest, there are these times in life we're begging God, God, I want... I want to know you better. I want to discover what you want me to do next. And if we're honest, God is saying, wait a second. You've procrastinated so much. There's so many ways you could be seeking me, and you keep ignoring those things. I mean, how many Sundays are you going to blow off church? How many times are you going to walk by the Scripture and go, I'm going to get around to that quiet time? How many distractions are you going to let take over your life? Folks, I get it. I mean, I'm just going to list a few basic distractions. I know none of you struggle with them. Uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, they're all demons. I mean, I ever, think about all those things. Pulling at your time, and sometimes we need to step back and say, God, I realize slowly but surely in my soul that the brook is drying up. The brook is drying up, and I'm not doing anything about it. But we can do something about it. See, what Elijah realized is the same thing that all of us battle, that if you're really stepping out in faith, faith has an enemy, and faith's enemy is always fear. Because deep down inside, we all have our fears. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God, the Spirit that God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So here's the thing about the enemy. The enemy does just the opposite. The enemy wants us to live in fear. The enemy wants us to put off what we know it's going to take to draw near to God. The enemy wants us to hate and not to love and to be undisciplined with our thoughts and undisciplined with our actions. But God says you can overcome all things in me, even procrastination. See, what would happen if we truly sought God every day of our lives to discover what he wants for our lives? I mean, what does God want for you right now? I mean, that's what I want you to wrestle with this morning. What is it he wants you to discover? What does he want me to discover? Because he wants us all to discover new things every day of our lives. And for some of you, maybe just coming here this morning on empty because you're begging God, God, I'm trying to figure out my next step. And so I encourage you, God's listening to you. He hears you. Trust me, he hears you. And he will allow you to discover new truths that you can't even imagine because that's the God that we serve. That's the God that Elijah earnestly prayed to day after day after day. Remember, Elijah was just like us except for that one thing. 
every day he pleaded with God. And I want to be more like that.